Welcome to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church, featuring our pastor, Rebecca Duke-Barton. The season of Lent is upon us, and we'd like to invite you to be part of a Lenten fast this year. You know, the word Lent isn't in the Bible, of course, but the idea of calling a fast and setting aside time for intentional prayer certainly is. Joel 2.15 and 16 say, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. In other words, everybody come, take part in the fast. Lynn is the 40 days leading up to Easter. Forty days is a good biblical number. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. It rained 40 days and 40 nights while Noah and his family waited in the ark. Lent actually winds up being 46 days because Sundays are not a part of Lent. Every Sunday is a little Easter. So if you're having a fast, you can take a rest from your fast on Sunday. Some of us might be thinking that we don't really need to give up anything for Lent this year. It feels like we never ended Lent from last year. Didn't you say it was the lentiest Lent we ever lented last year? Indeed. If you feel like there's nothing else to give up as a fast, another good option for observing Lent is to take up something more. Be more intentional about prayer time and reading your Bible. Take up a new spiritual practice or give generously. That's part of the point of fasting and giving something up. We don't just give up candy and start eating cookies. We give up something and replace that time with focus on God. We begin Lent with Ash Wednesday, which is February the 17th this year. Throughout the Bible, sackcloth and ashes are a sign of repentance. We remember that we are dust. As we place the sign of the cross on our foreheads, though, we remember that in God's hands, dust lives. Repent and believe the gospel. Come join us and Christians all over the world as we embark on a journey of faith.
Before we begin the sermon, I remind you that repentance in the Bible is often connected with sackcloth and ashes. Sometimes we need that physical reminder, an outward display of an inward repentance. You might have a piece of burlap at home or some dirt. If you're part of Jessup First United Methodist Church, you have a card with a sign of the cross on it. So if you have those, pause for one moment and go get them. Bring them to where you're worshiping so that you can have them at the end of the service. But if you don't, that's fine, too. You'll just need to use your imagination as we speak of the dust. As we walk into the holy season of Lent, we are beginning a series on the I Am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to begin here on Ash Wednesday with an I am saying that isn't always included in the list of seven, but tells a deep truth about who Jesus is. In John 8, Jesus is talking to religious leaders and tells them that if they continue in his word, they are his disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But they take issue with this, because as descendants of Abraham, they've always been free. A long discussion ensues. They wonder if Jesus has a demon. And I want to pick up there in chapter 8, verse 51. Will you listen as we hear the words of Jesus? John chapter 8, verse 51. Very truly, I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, Whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. He of whom you say he is our God, though you do not know him. But I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For the season of Lent this year, we will be looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We begin with the somewhat oddly phrased saying, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was talking to his listeners about Abraham as if he were an old friend, and listeners were shocked at such a statement because Abraham lived 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. Jesus is not yet 50. How could he have possibly known Abraham? I, Rebecca, am not yet 50. If I started talking about being at Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, or if I remembered the Roaring Twenties, the Roaring 1920s, you know, then you would think that I wasn't quite right, that I didn't know what I was talking about. But Jesus is talking about an even greater distance in time, 2,000 years. That's about the same distance in time we are from Jesus. If someone said to you, I was there at the feeding of the 5,000, that was my lunch, you would think they were crazy. 
that's how some people thought about Jesus when he started talking about Abraham like an old friend. But Jesus goes on with something more shocking than time travel, something that made people pick up stones to throw at him. Before Abraham was, I am. With that I am, Jesus is making an important statement about himself, that he existed before Abraham. But not just that, because then he could have said before Abraham was, I was, and we would have all been happier with his use of grammar. What Jesus is saying is deeper. Jesus is saying that he is God, and that's why people picked up stones, because they thought what he was saying was blasphemy. That I am is the name God gave Moses from the burning bush. I am who I am. That name is based on the verb to be. God is being. God is life itself. And you see, Jesus is making that claim about himself. I am. As Revelation puts it, he is the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus is life itself. It's hard to wrap our minds around one who has always been and always will be. Because that isn't who we are. We have not always been. We observe the first day of Lent by reminding ourselves that we are mortal. We can do it by putting ashes on our forehead or getting a scoop of dirt from the yard and reminding ourselves of the creation of the first humans. We have not always existed. We were created. And we would not always be. Our lives will come to an end. Except, except when we have joined ourselves in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is the I am, because he is the resurrection and the life, he brings us into his life. The mortal will put on immortality, but only because of Jesus, the great I am, the one who is life itself. It's amazing to contemplate that the great I am became mortal with all of our limitations and even experienced death so that we could find life in him. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Ash Wednesday gives us the opportunity to remember that this life is finite and to consider carefully how we're using this life. It's a time of reflection, of prayer, of refocusing our lives on the life of Jesus and who he is. It's time to toss out things we don't need, things that don't belong in the life of one who has been redeemed from the grave. Basil was a Christian in the 4th century. He said that we're like a sinking ship and we need to cast off anything that we don't need. We need a time in our spiritual life to throw out the things in our life that don't belong. This life is preparing us for the life to come, the new heaven and the new earth that God has promised. What are the things in our lives that are extra weight, things that don't belong? Think about the sin in your own life. I know it's hard because it's so much easier to see the sin in someone else's life and a whole lot more fun to point out other people's problems. The sin in our own life, sometimes we've come to accept. Maybe sometimes we're even a bit proud of it. My sin certainly isn't as bad as someone else's. My sins should really hardly even count as sin. Delmer Chilton of Two Bubbas and a Bible tells the story about a young seminary student in Tennessee. 
he's been told the congregation really loved it when preachers preached on sin. So on his first Sunday, he lit into tobacco really hard, smoking it, chewing it, growing it. After the service, one of the ushers stopped him at his car and told him they were, of course, opposed to tobacco, but, you know, it was important to know that a few of the church members raised tobacco for a living, and it might be good to avoid the topic in future sermons. The next week, he preached on the evils of excessive drinking with all of the statistics about drunk driving and broken homes and illness. And again that week, the usher met him at his car, thanked him for the sermon, but said, you know, we have a local distillery and a lot of our church members work there, and it might just be good to stop talking about alcohol. So the third week, the preacher opened up with both barrels on gambling. He outdid himself this time. The usher met him at the car one more time. But before he opened his mouth, the preacher shook his head and said, What this time? Well, preacher, you see a lot of folks, including me, work on horse farms. And we all know that those horses are for racing, which means gambling. So if you could, you see where that's going. We love to have a preacher preach on sin, as long as it's somebody else's sin, as long as the preacher doesn't hit too close to home. It's like my dad used to say, you go from preaching to meddling. Now, it's not that I like to point out sin. Most preachers I know had a whole lot rather talk about the love and grace of God than sin. But sin is real in our lives, and it has power over us. We are in chains. We are not free. But Jesus wants to set us free. But we've got to open ourselves and recognize that we need it first. I think Jesus' first listeners knew it. But it's why they became defensive about their religious credentials rather than accepting the life that Jesus was offering. Jim Morrow on the Potokesis podcast pointed out lately that really in our hearts we know something isn't right. You know your soul can't find rest. You feel it deep down. Something is wrong that you can't fix. Our souls feel heavy. You know you aren't free. I know it isn't comfortable, but really, we have to look at what's weighing us down. Sometimes it takes something jarring, like a holy fast, a sacred assembly, or a mark of ashes. For Alfred Nobel, the thing that jarred him was waking up to find his obituary in the newspaper. The obituary called him the Dynamite King. He had invented dynamite. That was his legacy. That was going to be what he was remembered for, for making a fortune from something that was destructive. The obituary was a wake-up call for him. He had a chance to change his story. And he did. Because that's not the thing you probably know him for. Not dynamite, but awards for outstanding contributions in physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. Of course, peace. We know his name for celebrating people who tried to make the world better. You think of Nobel Award winners, the Nobel Peace Prize, long before you think of dynamite. We have a chance this year to rewrite our story. 
And so we need something jarring here on this Ash Wednesday, a whole season of Lent to wake us up, to let us see the chains that are holding us, and to let the sun set us free. So this is my invitation. Let this season of Lent jar you into an awakening. Surrender your life into the one who is life. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's take a moment to repent and remember. If you have burlap or dirt, hold it in your hands as we pray. Lord, we are made from the dust of the ground. We are wounded, wayward, and weary. We have not kept your word. We do not know the truth. We have not heard the cry of the needy. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are not free. We are dust. But you, Lord, are life itself. You are the great I am. Forgive us, Lord. Wake us up that we may be reconciled to you. Show us the truth. Set us free, Lord. Give us life in you. In the name of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, we pray. Amen. We mark ourselves with a sign of the cross. From dust we have come to dust we return. Repent and believe the gospel. For our benediction, I want to end with the words of Peter Mead. Remind us, Lord, that we are dust. And when reminded, lead us to remember that most wondrous miracle, that in your hands, dust lives. Go in peace and find your life in the great I Am. You've been listening to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church, with Rebecca Duke Barton. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website. It's jessupfumc.org. That's J-E-S-U-P-F-U-M-C dot org.